page Nundalit. Left column in the middle. Vayim Kuru, etc., Be'ezrim Kasef. It says that they sold uh, Yosef and etc. for 20 pieces of silver. Isa the Midrash, the Midrash says, Shalakhu min alim be'esrim kasef. What did the Shvatim do with this esrim kasef that they got for selling Yosef? They bought shoes. They bought shoes with that esrim kasef. That's what the Midrash says. How's that word said? Where's that? Min Okay. But is it different from like the modern? Not Yeah, yeah. It's different word. Same thing. Just a different. Is it modern English with two yuds? Not aligned. There's two yuds. Yeah. Is that the group for Nike? What's the? the message there in buying that they bought shoes for this money. Ha'inyan, the nature of the idea is ki kol midah ki kamo golem. Every midah is like a golem. Now what he means here is that it's substance that can be formed into whatever you want to make it. This idea of a golem. It has no life unto itself, but depending on what you do with it, what you make out of it, what you make it into, that's what it's all about. So every Mita is like that. Va'ahava o Yura, both Ava, love, and Yura, fear or awe, respect. Shayochim l'ra chasvushalam kamolatov. They are just as you know, relevant to a person who wants to do something evil as they are to a person who wants to do something good. A person who's evil can use love and fear for their own purposes, for evil purposes. A person who wants to do something good can take those emotions and direct them toward that. So the emotion itself is like the golem, it depends what you do with it. But min ol Now he takes the word min ol, which is shu, but it also means like the word a lock. No ale means to lock something, to lock the door. Lin ol as is to lock the door. But you have to have a real strong shoe, or shall we say, a real strong lock. So that when a person has the emotion of love, that it does not spill over into the wrong places. It's to be contained within the boundaries of Kedusha. But that powerful feeling of love should be kept within the realm of the service of a Kaddish Baruch Hu. So just like a shoe, if you just look at a shoe, like it contains the person in a certain way. You put your, your feet into a shoe, but you're kind of putting your whole self into the shoe in a certain way, and it contains you. So mean all also is a lock, it's boundaries. And when it comes to these emotions that are powerful, in order to serve Hashem with them, they have to be within the constraints of Kedusha. B'chein b'chol hamidah. And the same thing applies to every midah. It needs to function within a boundary to be l'shem shemayim. Hukishohoya Yosef imahim. When Yosef was with the brothers, 
Hayahu Hamino Shalem. He was the lock. He was the shoe. He kept everybody within their proper boundaries. He kept everybody within the proper areas of Kedusha where they needed to be. Therefore, when they sold him, they had to buy shoes. Right? So what he's saying here, the deeper rem is that they had to look for this quality that Yosef had. Now what's Yosef's mutah? Yesod. And Yesod is that which brings everything together. It ties it all together. That's his kashrus, is Yesod. If you look at it in terms of sexuality, now Yesod, at least physically speaking, representing the place where the zera, the seed, comes out of a man. It's all tied together there. It's all there. The whole imprint of the human being is there and then given over to the woman meeting with the egg and you have conception. But in the Yisod, everything becomes tied together. So the same thing here, it's that mida of Yosef HaTzadik which tied all of the midos of the Shvatim together, kept them in their proper boundaries and now they sold them and they and they're without that mida of proper uh, expression tied together in a good way. So they had to look for that elsewhere. And that's what he says is the deeper meaning of they had to buy shoes. They had to have boundaries, a lock, for their own midos so they wouldn't slip out into the wrong place. You can see it a little bit in terms of the Pusik says that Yosef brought reports to his father about the brothers, the Basamra. And that's the idea, that they, they all had uh, exceptional strengths. And Yosef was kind of keeping everybody in check, you know, taking it to Yaakov and making sure everybody's doing the right thing. Of course, that had a negative effect on the brothers. But that's where that idea comes out, as I see it, in the Pesuki. Could you help maybe uh, say that that's why the Torah seems to go out of its way to say how, how, that they hated him? Because Seven says it's at least twice. Um, so maybe you could say that, that what they hated was that sort of uh, that sort of that boundary, effect. that discipline, right? And, uh, but, but what do you think, on a conceptual level, were the not line that they were trying to replace him with? I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that that he really that. leaves that hanging. Like what yeah. what was this that they bought? Right. You know. I have what one function, idea. What Pardon? function would it would it have? I mean, what were they searching? What function were they searching for? In a certain sense, I guess. Is the well, this function of keeping their mitos within their within their boundaries. Yeah, but, uh, but what would do that? Yeah, you know, uh, you don't have mitos. I, I don't know, but I have an idea, right? Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that they had to spend money for it, uh, right? So a person has to really, when it comes to that, you, you have to put yourself out, and you have to be willing to give something up in order to be able to have those constraints. So they took that money, they spent it, they're giving something up in order to actualize that. That's the mashav I have on it. That's it. Abram? Well, this is just an observation. Sure. But the concept of boundaries is all through the Torah yeah. until today, because that's what the, uh, you know, the, the, even the sages of today look at the boundaries in which they can make a ruling on halakha. But we, and over and over again, I mean, even when, like when the Torah specifies a particular city, or the distance between a city, or human interaction, there's always a boundary. Yeah, <coughs> it's one of the great yesodos of Torah, that, that everything has to operate within a boundary. And of course, I think the, um, one of the, the very insightful things about that is that outside of this 
lifestyle, there's a perception that those boundaries are limiting and rigid. But inside of this lifestyle, there's a perception that it's through those boundaries that a person is liberated. And without the boundaries, there's no real meaning and no real purpose. So the way to really develop love is to make sure it's not spilling out all over the place in every direction. That's, that's what sexual immorality is based upon. That's what looking for something outside of one's real relationships is based upon. And there's, no, there's no boundary. The, the true expression of love is when it's within those boundaries. And that's where a person really grows. Hey, um, a different thing. Uh, is he saying that um, it was the kavana of the brothers to buy shoes, or was he saying the kavana of the brothers to to try to um, create uh, the function of boundaries in their lives? I, mean, I understand how he gets how he. He's saying the latter. He's saying the latter. This is really Alderach Remes. That he's being Maramez to a deeper idea within this concept that they bought shoes. Now, that, did they buy shoes? Probably yes, the Fibshuta. But there's something deeper to it as well. Now, it could be, as I see it, it could be either thing. A, he wants to give this idea over to us. So he's attaching it you know, to a remez in the Torah, to this idea. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that he necessarily thinks that's what they were thinking about. Okay. It's uh, for us. It's for us, okay. It's a remez in the psukim. For uh, taking that concept in avoda, and here's a remez to it. Uh, the Torah is alive in all kinds of ways. Could also be, when it comes to some of these thoughts, that Taka, he thinks, this was their mahalaf in avoda. And somehow there was a remez to that in, in the shoes. Right. That they did both. They bought the physical shoes, and on a deeper level, they were thinking about something else as well. Okay. So it sounds like we are giving them credit, so to speak, that with one hand they were saying no to having the boundaries by selling off the boundary maker voice. Maker. <laughs> but on the other hand, they realized they, they didn't, did need some boundaries. Right and they acquired right. boundaries, but not from Yosef. Right. Uh, the issue I'd have though is, didn't, after this event, I mean, Yehuda moves off and goes through a chain of events that shows that for a while, he was really shaking off any boundaries that may be around him. It just seems to be the way I perceive what, what do you mean? With Tamar and the incidents with, you know, right. really, he stepped out of side what was, should have been his boundaries within the family, it seemed like, for a while. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if, what I was hearing was that maybe the shoes were just, they knew once they sold Yosef, they had to find something. And the first thing they found was shoes, which give you some kind of boundaries. They knew they needed something, but they weren't sure what it was yet. Mm -hmm. and, and they didn't realize what they had maybe totally lost when they gave up Yosef. I don't know. But in other words, like a realization that we, we lost this, yeah. and therefore needing to do something, something about it. Uh, physical to try to think about it. That, ha that happens too sometimes, just in terms of Alderecha voted that, you know, you, you you get rid of something, or you, you kind of shrug it off, and you realize, gosh, you know, I should have held on to that. Yep. <laughs> and now you now you have to scramble to get it somewhere else in a different way. Yeah. Good point. Yes, tell it. 
Uh, I was going to say one, perhaps an idea could develop from this is the concept that uh, a function uh, of, ha of having to do this, of having done this, and the, the introspection that the brothers obviously went through after having done this was their own maturation, and this is a, an expression of their own maturation that so, so, sort of they were in a kind of adolescent defiant mode uh, before, and that's reflected in their hatred of, the re of what Yosef represented. And it, 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 and that suggests to me uh, something that had puzzled me in the pasuk when it says that by about Yosef, who nar es bnei Vilha, es bnei Zilpa, Neshei Aviv, that he he was the youth. He was he was a youth, um, but it's a verb there. You know, right. You know, it's a verb. It always struck me as sort right. of a funny form, but maybe it's like he functioned as like. The uh, you know the the adolescent he stimulated uh, the adolescent dynamic in the family mm -hmm. and uh, and now he's gone and that's gone and, and suddenly people have to grow up real quick in this family. There's um, an interesting thing also about Buhunar S. Bnei Bilham Bnei Zilpa if if I remember correctly that it's that Yosef spent his boyhood years growing up. He was a young boy with them, mm -hmm. with the shvachas. He, these were his, the group that he grew up with. It's like the people that you spent your childhood with. And there's different. There's a difference between them and the older people who you didn't really grow up with. The ones he really had that affectionate closeness with, who was he and Nara with? B'nai Bila and B'nai Zilpa. And they had that affection for each other like that. That's another way to look at the right. shot. Also, one other comment, just um, notwithstanding the lesson, the lesson that I think... Uh, Hilly trying to say, but also to all, we, we really have to be conscious of the fact that these are extremely great people, and never to lose sight of that. Uh, even if the Torah Shev Itzav, you know, surface meaning looks like this is just a bunch of you know uh, brothers battling, it, it wasn't. They, they had very deep reasons for what they did, and the struggles had a very profound effect on Klal Yisrael. And it wasn't just sibling rivalry going on here. The other thing is that yes. it's 12 out of 70. What, what do you mean, Abram? Well, there were 70 Jewish people that went right. to Mitzrayim. Right. So these are 12 of them. Right. Well, these are the these are really the fathers of the families. I mean, right. Yaakov the is the patriarch, right. and they're one generation down. Right. Right. So these guys are incredibly special yeah. because of who they are and what they uh, represent. Yes. And each shade that has its own derrick in a Lotus session. Lenny, you come? Is there some significance that they mentioned that's mentioned the instead of just saying he was sold, mm -hmm. he was sold for twenty pieces of silver. Is it twenty yeah. significance? Yeah, it does. Uh, although I'm, I wish I could tell you offhand what it is, but I, I don't recall. There, the Mephorshim talk about that word twenty there. But I don't have it in my fingertips. No. Okay. Not yes, Josh? Not Pigeon Haben, right, right. That's the same measure. Pigeon Haben silver is equal to the same same amount. There's some connection. There's a kapora for that. I think is that correct? There's a kapora in Pigeon Haben for the mafira of Yosef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you. Right. I don't know about anything else. Okay, good. Okay, now a a short one, but very insightful.
no pun intended, you'll see as we see the minor. Now, um, as Avi just brought up a moment ago, if we're on the next page, Nunhe, left column, uh, three paragraphs in, Vateshev Bepesafina. So Tomor is there, dressed as a zona, as a prostitute on the road. Yehuda comes by, and then he's with her. Just, by the way, there are many shitos as to, you know, was this allowed, was this not allowed. One of them, before she says that Yehuda married Tomor at that time, when he gave her that ring, that he gave her the ring to marry her. So it's not, you don't have to look at it as he went, you know, onto the side of the road with the prostitute. That's the, the meaning of the shot of the Pesukim, but there are other ways to look at it as well. When did he give her the ring? Uh, beforehand, because he, she was, she was going to ask for a sheep, and he didn't have that with him, so she asked for a mashkon, a collateral for that, uh, and he gave her a ring, and a staff, and a cloak. So, so that was beforehand, that. right? So one of the Mephorshim says that was kedushin. He was marrying her at that time. Right. Others say this was allowed at that at that time. So you know there are different ways to approach it. But that's not what he's looking at here. It says, And she sat, literally it means at the opening of the eyes, a very unusual phrase. It means at the fork in the road. Right? Enayim eyes here means the road. And the Pesach is the opening that the road goes this way and the road goes that. There's, that wherever you were going, you had to go by there. So she knew that Yehuda was coming back, and he had to go there, because he had to go there to go anywhere else. That's Pesach Enayim. And the Chidush HaRem says, He yashva be'inayim pesuchas. She was there with open eyes. This means in a spiritual sense. Ki because she saw es asher that was going to come forth from this union. Mahus based of it, which is the kingdom of the house of David. The Tamar was a great woman and a very holy woman. And she understood that she belonged to the family of Yehuda and that this was going to come out of her. She grasped that. The Ramban also writes in this uh, part of the Torah that the mitzvah of Yibum at those times was done in this way, that if you didn't have a child from your husband and then he died, then you married the brother. That's, that's what we are familiar with. And then he says, and if there are, are no more brothers, the next in line is the father. And that's how they practiced and observed that mitzvah at that time. So being that Shayla was not being given to her, Yehuda was next. He was the next one in order to be with her, and she understood that as well. So just Lafi, the halachic part of it, that's what she's looking at. The spiritual part of it is that she knew that Malchus based David was supposed to be built through this relationship. And that's Pesach her name. Her eyes were wide open about this, and she knew what was going to come out of it. Well, that makes it interesting, because that then helps fill in something else I saw. It says, although she was dressed in a certain way, this was not her intention, not to, to be basically selling herself on the side of the road. This yeah. not what she, Yehuda made an assumption, is the way this commentary is, mm -hmm. he made an assumption. Mm -hmm. But as soon as, now I see, but as soon as he gave her the items, she felt herself married, and she let it be completed. Right. That, was that not, would be a good way to look at that. That was not why she was mm -hmm. there. Right. You know, he just made the assumption. Good. Good. Okay. That was a short one, but very eye-opening. <laughs> Pardon me? Was she Canaanite? Tamar? Uh, where where no, was she, she from? Was the, uh, she was about shame. Mm -hmm. I just saw that. Yeah, some of the before she would say she was the daughter of shame. 
and therefore she was a Bas Kohen, which is why they judged her to Sreifa, that's what some of them, some of them say. Yeah. But the Thib Shuta, where does it say she come from in the, in the Torah? Is there, what does it say there? Does it? Doesn't identify her? But Batshua yeah. was a kid, but it was right. I'm oh, sorry, just one second. Does it, does it identify Tamar or her? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Josh? remember which one of the Mephorshim I saw it, but I just saw it this week, that it was not only the Mishpacha of Yehuda, but it was Yehuda himself. Because the greatest Tzidkas and the greatest Koach of Yehuda was directly from him. And therefore, even though Shayla should have been next, but once that was impossible, she was going, you might say, straight to the top, because that's where it was going to come from. Mephorshim say that Yehuda was the one that was going for that in her visualizing what was supposed to come from there. Why, why, yes, David? why didn't they both share the same prophecy? Uh, w uh, both who, Evan? Yeah, Tamar and uh, Yehuda. Why didn't they, sh why didn't they <coughs> realize that ahead of time? Right. It could be that Yehuda did know that about Tamar, and that's why he had his sons marry her. But at this point, she is disguised, and she, he does not know who she is. So let's say we take your, your question in that context, but why wasn't it made known to him? And you have this idea that Hashem does not always make everything known to every prophet. He reveals certain things and he doesn't reveal other things. Like for example, Yosef is sold to Mitzrayim now. And for 22 years, Yaakov does not know where he is. Yitzchak knew. Yitzchak Avinu knew that, Yaakov, that Yosef was alive. Remember, Yitzchak is still alive now. He knew that Yosef was alive. So the question is, why didn't he tell Yaakov? His son is undergoing horrible distress about his missing son, Yosef. Why didn't he tell him? Because Yitzchak, like other great Nevim, um, understood if God wanted Yaakov to know, then God would tell him. <laughs> Why didn't he think he could be an instrument? But because, because those nevuahs were private. Okay. When a nevuah is to be told to the people, then you have to tell it to the people. Right. You're obligated to, and if, and you, and if and you, you don't, you're obligated. Right. You know that. Right. But there are other nevuahs, and most of them, because there were hundreds of thousands in Nevi'im over Jewish history, mm -hmm. most of their nevuahs were personal or just pertaining to their uh, community. The ones that we have written down, with, which are the nevuahs, Lidoros, because they were chayev to tell that to the people. They, they obliged to do that. 
But with these personal Nevoas, no. A lot of that was very private and they knew that this is what God told me and he's, he's not telling that to Yaakov and I'm not allowed to. It puts a whole different, you know, twist on, you know, the Nisayan of being a Navi. <laughs> if you happen to know something that other people don't know and you're not allowed to tell, I'm sure that's, you know, very it's difficult. Very painful. A lot of Gavura, yeah. right. Okay, let's take a look at the Right. Let's take a look on page Nun Zion. We'll take a, uh, a few from Hanukkah. Ooh, Hanukkah, interesting connection here. Okay, Nun Zion, right column on the bottom. Isa, it is brought down. The Ner Hanukkah. When it comes to Hanukkah candles or wicks, Shoel Umoker Kisuso. If a person is impoverished, they either have to borrow or they have to sell a garment, even their clothing, in order to have Hanukkah. It's interesting that we just yeah. learned that about selling and right? <laughs> garments. All right. So that's how far it goes. And an Ani, a person who really has nothing, they have to make sure that they have a Hanukkah lift, even if they have to sell something important to them. Well, they're not supposed to go naked. No, no, that would be <laughs> embarrassing. But they'd have to do without, you know, something that ordinarily they would need. Yeah. It's also, just by the way, the, the community is responsible too. You know, if, if it comes to the attention of, uh, let's say, communal leaders or a Gabbai Tzedakah, you know, they would, of course, want to help out to help that person get Hanukkah. <laughs> So he asked the question, why is the person obligated here to even sell their clothing? And you don't find this when it comes to a mitzvah minat Torah. It doesn't say by lulav and esrog that if, you, if, you're, if you're impoverished that you should sell your clothing to buy a lulav and esrog. It's up to one-fifth, or I'm sorry, one-third of what you have. One-third is a, for a mitzvah. If you don't have it, then you don't have to buy it. So why here? Ella, neis Hanukkah. When it comes to the miracle of Hanukkah, who michutz leteva? It's outside of the realm of nature. The whole miracle of Hanukkah is a supernatural event, and it's about nes. Right, that, that's Yishmona again. V'lachain, therefore, yesh la'asos ma'ametz michutz leteva. Therefore, you have to put forth effort beyond the natural realm. So this miracle is so great. If you really want to touch it and be influenced by it, you have to go that far to even sell a garment of clothing, which is more than you're normally required to do so. So, of course, that teaches us something, too, that we're, we're trying to grasp the light of Hanukkah. And as the Svarasema said the other night, the more a person is able you know, to take themselves outside of being embedded by, in nature, you know, in habits, the more the, they will be able to grasp the nace of, the nace of Hanukkah. I also learned that that, the, um, that you only have to light one near per night. Per night, that's correct. You don't have to do one, two, three, four, right. five, and that and that also is helpful in terms of enabling somebody else just to light one candle. Sure. Now, I, there, I also uh, read that you benefit if you're not lighting a menorah, you benefit from the light of somebody else's. Yeah. There's a blessing at the same. That's right. So if you're impoverished, impoverished, can't you like use that 
You can't because you can you cannot say the bracha lahad lignir shalchanaka. Because you're not waiting. Right. Yourself, so you. That's right. You can say shoshanisim when you see someone else's menorah. You can say that bracha if you haven't lit, or you and you can't light, but you can't say lahadlik. So that mitzvah he's got to do. Now also just pertaining to what Abram said that it's a mitzvah mina mahajan or mahadamina mahajan to add a candle every single night so you get to eight. But by the letter of the law, if a person doesn't have that, they do light just one. That's the halacha you were refer- referring to. Right. Now baruch Hashem. You know, in our times, you could buy a box of those nice colored candles. Forty-four you know, cents. <laughs> Forty-four cents. So, with God's help, everybody yeah. can can do a mitzvah mahajan and mahajan in their in their homes and light that way. But certainly, there were times uh, in our history when when we couldn't. I remember. I think I shared with you this story once um, that I read about. Um, I think it was Yosef Mendelovitz, the. Uh, one of the Soviet prisoners of conscience that uh, where he was working in Siberia every day he would scrape a little bit of machine oil just to drop you know, over the course of a long period of time and put it away and by the time Hanukkah came he had gathered that amount of oil and he used that to light his uh, Hanukkah lit. that's mysterious bad fish require to sell a piece of clothing to have at this one light for one night? Yes, for one light, one night for every night. You wouldn't be obligated to sell it to add a light per night, but to have one per night, you're per obligated. Night, so to one mm-hmm. night. Right, because that's the minimum. And each night is its own mitzvah. Right, yes, Jeff? It might be that uh, the idea of um, you know, having a candle every night is not supposed to go naked, but being that the product comes out of the cold time of the year, that one would be uh, loath to sell an extra piece of clothing Good because uh, <laughs> it's so it colder. So it's real mysterious snapfish, right? It's not right. like selling it during the summer. Right. Very good point. Okay, so we got one more. Yes. Try to make a, um, one I, th- I know person. we need one more. If we, if we could find somebody, we'd love to have them in for now. Okay, okay. I've got to deal with these troublemakers here. <laughs> Okay, um, page Nun Ches, left column on the bottom. Another Chazal, Mezuzah b'yamin v'ner Hanukkah b'small. The Mezuzah is on the right side of the doorway and the Hanukkah candle is in the left side of your doorway. You got there, Hanukkah? Down here on the bottom? Mezuzah. Bottom left, yeah. Hainu sheha Mezuzah m'vir l'idei oruch yamin. A Mezuzah brings about length of days. As it says in the Pasuk, Orech Yamim Biyamina, length of days is in the right, or on the right side. So the mezuzah is there on the right, and that brings about Arichas Yamim, length of days. Vaha Mitzvah, and the Mitzvah, Shalner Hanukkah, Shehibi Small, which is on the left side, Meviya Lideo Shervachavod, that brings about wealth and honor. Kamoshakasuv, as it says, Bismola O Shervachavod, on the left, there is wealth and honor. So therefore, when you have those two things, the mezuzah on the right and the Ner on the left, you have everything. Length of days, osher, wealth, and kavod, all of one, surrounded by these beautiful things. And most certainly, when it says honor, in respect to the menorah, it's talking about Torah. Because there is no honor except for Torah. The Zehu Hanukkah, and that is the nature of Hanukkah in and of itself. 
And the idea there is that many as far mentioned that the menorah is considered to be the emanating source of Torah Sheba Alpeh, where the oral where the oral Torah flows from is from from the menorah. So having that in your doorway, a person is blessed with honor and the honor of the Torah. And that's what we fill our homes with every time we light the menorah. Okay, yes, you go ahead. Yes, Adam? Well, it's just, um, yes, is it from <coughs> Mishle? Is that from? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I light, I put the menorah in the left side of the archway in my dining room. One of ours is on the right. I found the laundry menorah. The is on the left. And then I have the kids put their menorahs on the window so that way we do we do both. Yeah. How does that compare to uh, uh, the arrangement in the basin mikdash? The menorah was on the left. Well, it was on. It was in the south. Now, if you the way you know classically speaking, really that would be the right because whenever you talk about directions it means that a person is facing east. So the menorah being on the south would be on the right. And the shulchan, which represents Parnassa, is on the left. So that's, that's a different concept happening there. Yeah. But the person, okay, but yeah. the, the, the part of the idea is facing uh, east, so the, 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 so, so the person who's looking at it would see it the other way around. The person who is looking at it, yeah, well, depending on what side of the doorway he's saying, on, right? I'm right. The, the person, the, the, the external person is seeing the nays uh, represented. The external person is seeing the mezuzah on the right, because oh. you're going in. It's the guy who's inside who will see the mezuzah on the left and the menorah on the right. So again, it depends on your perspective, your perspective right? <laughs> 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 it's getting very political. <laughs> yes, you're caught.